beat, 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 beatboxing. I'm beatboxing. <laughs> I'm beatboxing, father. <laughs> father, would you like to hear me beatbox? <laughs> oh yes, son, that right. sounds great. Shall All I right, po- son, let's see. Let's see what you've got. Beat. A bump, de beep. A bump, bump, beep. Beat, a bump, beat, beep. Beat, a bump, beat, bump, beat, 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 box. <laughs> oh, it's pretty good. Aye. I shall save you from the mines, father, with my career as a beatboxer. Oh, I hope you do. I'm dying. <laughs> I've got the black lung, so we really are relying on you. Doctor says you've got till Tuesday. <laughs> I hope this isn't bollocks. <laughs> like your last idea, son. <laughs> that lemonade stand were crap. Wait, do I have to say Heidi hi again? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Not unless you want to. No, I don't. Can you name another old British sitcom as part of your intro? Was that was Heidi Hi an old British sitcom? Oh my god. So, Ruth Maddox is gonna be turning in her grave. Keeping up appearances! I'm Jen. <laughs> You're listening to Jen and the Film Critic. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> That's Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're using this. I'm not doing it again. Okay. Nope. <laughs> um, how are you doing, Paul? You good? I'm okay. I'm I'm completely fine. I'm I'm swarmed by f- thoughts of Clive Swift and Patricia Routledge, and I wouldn't have it any other way for the beginning of this talk about the state of the cinema. I think you can get a cream for that. I'm doing well. I'm clearly a bit <laughs> silly, and I'm drinking a peppermint tea. So, how many films are we listening to today? That makes sense. Listening to. I'm going to play many, many films for you right now. Uh, We've got a few films to talk about. I was a little worried that we wouldn't have enough to talk about uh, because, to kill the mood for a second, uh, Twitter's most famous transphobe released Uh... a movie at the beginning of the month. And uh, pretty much everyone, very much like the Batman last month, decided to avoid that. Mm. Yeah. Even though it's bad and rubbish. Directly with it. Even though it's apparently very bad. Um, and rubbish yeah. and might be the end of the franchise oh. which would be lovely uh, for many many reasons it's meant to be like another five of those or something isn't there it? was gonna be five or and five it and looks two, like so. they've kind of wrapped it all up although i spoke good. to my housemate who did see it, and apparently ends with the hero just kind of running away which is fine yeah and then he ran away at the end what it's a no wonderful trilogy it. it'll go down in history as one of the greats <laughs> <laughs> no less climactic than the end of you know the crimes of grundle whatever the hell so <laughs> that's his name that's that Ich bin Grundel, what er is hell? <laughs> oh god! Apparently, a lot of this was set in Germany. Anyway, yeah, I'm not going to review it. Going very well. No, please don't. Thank I'm, you. I'm not going to review it for moral reasons and also just personal things. It just seems distasteful to. for me to do so. I don't want to, but I don't want to set that precedent. Otherwise, we're never going to talk about. <laughs> That's true. You force yourself <laughs> to watch films. a lot of stuff you don't want to watch. But, we have uh, to watch a lot of awful films, but this one, yeah, this one hits home so i don't want to if you want to talk more or go into more discussion about why not engaging in jk rowling stuff anymore is like actually an okay response there's lots of people <laughs> on youtube you just message me i'll send you yeah. links i've watched so many videos go find me more on twitter she'll explain it very very eloquently and funnily jesse gender does some good videos i've watched yeah. some good stuff by verily bitchy she's good too there's so I'm much engaging with it. out there especially the stuff no. she's actively writing nowadays yeah, absolutely. Why the hell would you? Right, so let's talk about something a lot more sort of friendly and welcoming and inclusive of everyone. It's the Northman. Yay! 
Yay, the Northern Man, as it's alternatively <laughs> and originally titled. Um, this is Robert Eggers' Lighthouse and uh, The Witch, the Vavitch director. Mm. Uh, his new film, written with uh, sweet, uh, Icelandic author Sean. Sean. Um, and there's lots of very delightful, crunchy Scandinavian language to get your teeth into Yummer. here. This is an adaptation of the 12th century Icelandic saga, The Life of Amleth, which was one of the main influences on Shakespeare's Hamlet. Sounds quite like um, the word Hamlet as well, doesn't it? Sounds it sounds a lot like it, yes. <laughs> yeah. And they say his name a lot in the thing, which is yeah. uh, strange. It's very interesting to see the little bits of um, Hamlet mm. in this film from the saga. You know, the feigned madness, um, mm. the sort of uh, strange coupling uh, with someone who has sort of her own uh, damage going on. And also there's a Yorick, kind of. Oh. So it's very interesting. But like Hamlet, the premise of the uh, the film is that a young boy witnesses his father murdered. I don't think that happens in Hamlet. The young boy has his father murdered um, by his uncle. And he runs away. The uncle then takes the boy's mother for his wife. Mm. And it's about this long journey to revenge in order to try and... Uh, yeah, reclaim the kingdom. Except this is very interesting, the ways in which the typical revenge story is subverted. Uh, for one thing, it's not going to build up to this big climactic battle for the kingdom, because as soon as the uncle took it, he lost it to Harald Hardrada. Oh. So he himself has now fled to Iceland, where he is just um, working as a sort of sheep farmer with a modest household. And this is the household that then Amleth is going to infiltrate. Um, and along the way, he meets um, Olga, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. I should say, sorry, Amleth is played by Alexander Skarsgård oh. in his giant, imposing form. <laughs> He's um, naturally a six-foot-four man mm. and uh, is now about six-foot-four wide and around, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, an, an imposing cylinder of a human being. <laughs> what a tube. What a tube of a human. <laughs> what a ch- what a tube. Come slide around it because it's quite something. And he's yeah, he, he he has this kind of angry look to his physicality. He um because he starts the film as this kind of after being a boy, he grows up to be this avenging Viking figure mm. who has lost track of his um of his kind of raison d'etre to get revenge. Well, as he keeps repeating in his mantra, you know, I will avenge you father, I will save you mother, I will kill you Fjolnir. So he's got to come back and get Fjolnir. But he's lost track of that and he's just started going around pillaging Mm. various villages in the land of the Rus uh, in what the director, Robert Eggers, described as his um, Akuna Matata sequence. (laughs) (laughs) What a comparison. (laughs) Just as jolly, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. They sing a song and they eat a load of bugs. Cool scene where but, they walk yeah. across a log together in silhouette. Oh, and he get and he's just a kid. He's yeah. just like doing his swinging thing, and then suddenly he's Alexander Skarsgård with his axes. And he Alexander Skarsgård, massive tube, <laughs> tube man. Yeah. Oh god. So yeah, it's it. You have that, and then yeah, he grows up and he ingratiates himself into this household and seeks vengeance. So it's a very interesting story because obviously he has this kind of sub- uh, obsession with getting revenge, um, and on you know, fulfilling this kind of masculine expectation of Mm. himself to rescue his poor mother, the damsel in distress. Yeah, viciously murder the household of the man who killed his father. What is interesting is the ways in which this story is subverted and some very, very sort of shocking moments later on in the film in which it's really questioned, you know, the whole justification of of his quest and, you know, his own assumptions about his father and about how this society actually works. It's all very good. Um, its depiction of Vikings is very interesting, kind of 
absolutely removing any notion of the sort of honorable mm. warrior from them in order to really explore the idea of the primal berserker, you know, the kind of man who would get himself into a psychically charged state in which they could endure tremendous pain and do these great big feats of violence. Okay. Which involves these rituals that are very, very in keeping with um, Egger's typical style, because it has a lot of the witch in there and this sort of the Vivich and these um, sort of rituals that are intended to connect these men with their primal instincts and include ritualistic farting and various other things. And it's it's very sorry, macho. Sorry, sorry. did you say ritualistic farting? I did say ritualistic farting. Okay, there was a moment where to check that. Because the dad is played by Ethan Hawke, who I really like. Aww. I'm really liking Ethan Hawke at the moment. And he's he's got this jester, the Yorick type, who is Willem Dafoe, who is excellent wow. in this film. There's a, he, he really leans into some of the Scandi phrases. There's a scene where he has to say the name of the sword, the mythical sword, because it has the weapon fetishization from Beowulf and you know things like that. He has to go get this mythical sword from the dweller, the dweller inside of the mountain. And he says the name of the sword, and it's just like a... Like, <laughs> noise. It's amazing. Snarlagrul. <laughs> and it's... Uh, That's fun. It's very good. It's really good. God bless you, Willem Dafoe, and your constant commitment to whatever role you're in. Whatever you're doing. Whatever you're doing, you're always growling like a madman. But during that ritual where the three of them are sort of rotting and pretending to be dogs, he comes up to him and says, Are you a man? Prove you are not a dog. And the father, I think, belches into his face, and then he goes to the son and says, And you, young pup, will you prove you're not a dog? And the son sort of concentrates really hard and then breaks wind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's that kind of... There's a humour to it. There's definitely a humour into how earnestly over the top the whole thing is. Okay. Um, And how it depicts this kind of rotting masculinity as as being absurd and yet also so immersive and all-encompassing. And that allows him to segue into these tremendous fantasy sequences from Skarsgård's point of view, from Amber's point of view, where he suddenly looks into his father and sees the sort of family tree, the literal family tree growing inside Mm. of him that has you know, all of his forebears growing on the branches, or he imagines sequences in which he is spirited along to Valhalla, you know, on the back of a, mm. a bizarre shrieking uh, Valkyrie with uh, braces. Um, okay. It's just a very odd imagery, which is a lot of fun. Um, amazing supporting roles from, yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy is fantastic as this character who is kind of unstable like Ophelia, but also it has claims to have this ability to sort of warp men's minds, Ooh. which um, I would love to have seen more of in the film but is still yeah she's got this kind of witchy quality to her that's um, a lot of fun and she's a very charismatic and forceful presence and then you've got clay's bang from the square who is very interesting as this ultra masculine head of a household nicole kidman she's really good as the mother yeah it's this very complicated kind of figure who herself has carrying an awful lot of baggage stellan skarsgård shows up in order to look over his kin um, he is the the head of this bizarre family of Skarsgårds, this unbelievably beautiful family of Skarsgårds. <laughs> <laughs> Stellan's just there, like, yes, I beget all of this. Yes, and he shows I am up excellent. Very good <laughs> genetics. <laughs> and he shows up to prove that by having a massive beard and, sh- and being shirtless. Mm. And um, yeah, he's in a cave, sort of telling Amleth what he must do, whilst also having this kind of mad, crazy-eyed hermit quality to him. And Bjork is here. Bjork and. Bjork and Bjork. she plays Bjork and she plays a um a witch who sort of sends of him on his way a sightseer and she, she plays a completely normal person it's very <laughs> against type <laughs> yeah. 
it's just it's a lot of fun it's a beautiful yeah. looking movie it's a movie that robert eggers makes really well which is that it is a movie that completely makes sense to the world it's portraying i remember ben wheatley saying this about a field in england he wanted to make a movie that would make absolute sense if you try if you showed it to a british person from the civil war you know the logic would be there for them and it would be completely concordant with mm. their beliefs and their understanding of the world that's what this feels like this is a okay. movie made by vikings for vikings <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> and it's as a non-Viking, it's fun to ha- be a tourist into that world. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I'm giving it five stars. Great. Is it? Yeah. Is it very? Is it very gory? It's quite gory. That's the impression I got from the trailer was that you were going to see someone's head come off in well, quite a gory head... manner. <laughs> you do actually see yeah. at least one person's head come off. Yeah, of course they were going to. As a t- at least two that I can think of, but... <laughs> Just I mean, the gore is very three. focused. Okay. The gore is very focused. You've got his early life as a Viking, and then you've got the bit where he starts his vengeance against the household. Mm. And there's a wonderful set piece, actually, where <laughs> the household gathers up its strongest men and goes off to meet this other household, um, and they have a violent game of what looks like hockey. <laughs> I mean, hockey is terribly violent yeah. anyway. So. Well, they have they have sticks and there is a ball, but they essentially run into the middle of the pitch, beat the living crap out of each other, and then the last person standing picks up the ball and throws it against a pole. Sounds like hockey. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. what I know uh, ice hockey to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just mud hockey and it's quite the sequence. Mm. So yeah, there's a fair amount of violence, but it is, I don't know, there's something celebratory about okay. it in some ways, whilst also fun. demonstrating the impact and risk of these of this violence. Okay, mm. cool. Yeah, I, I liked the look of the trailer. I kind of wanted to see this one. But you know me. It's certainly unique. It sounds it. Sounds fun. And I'm just a little bit overjoyed that it got made. <laughs> That's good. We've had so many wonderful medieval dramas of this last year. We've had The Green Knight. Um, we've had The Last Duel, which is really good. Well, we've had uh, a film we're going to talk about shortly. But yeah, we've had a lot of very interesting medieval dramas lately. Medieval's fun. It's a good, it's a good old laugh. It's a good old time. It's a crazy time. It was mad. It was crazy. You had to be there, but if you're not, you watch these movies. Yeah. Well, speaking of the mad old time, mm-hmm. I think we should probably talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent. Me? Something that we both know a lot about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it weighs me down every day. Oh, God. As long as he needs me. <laughs> this is... I know where I must be. Oh, I amuse myself. (laughs) (laughs) And that is your burden. (laughs) Nevertheless, the rest of us will enjoy it too. It is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It is Tom Gormican's meta-comedy about Nicolas Cage. Oh, I thought that was the title. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's Nicolas Cage the movie, as it will always be Nicolas Cage the movie. Yes, the movie follows Nicolas Cage as sort of facsimile of himself. And it's meant to be this uh, the idea that he's reached a slump in his career. And that he is looking for the next big role, but out of desperation and a need to make money, he ends up going to a birthday party held by a uh, eccentric eccentric millionaire, played by Pedro Pascal, uh, the Mandalorian himself, and or uh, the guy who got his head exploded in Game of Thrones, if that's nah. a better reference <laughs> point. Um, he's a wonderful man. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. <laughs> Sounds it. <laughs> Based on those two um, Based on those two facts, they end up having a bit of a talk and a reflection about life and what, you know, one means to the other. And then a strange sort of crime plot kicks off. So it's a very meta film. They spend a lot of the so early stages... So this is a film. Can I just... This is not... Oh, yes. Doc- yeah, this is actually a fictional film about <laughs> real life This is a fiction film. Yeah. 
Okay. No, yeah. Well, he plays Nicholas Cage. Right. Arguably. Yeah. He has said that uh, the character doesn't bear a great deal of similarity to his real offstage persona. Okay, he's playing sure. it. He's playing kind of like stage. an exaggerated right, version. Right. He's playing the caricature of himself. Yeah. The the main ca- uh, conflict of which is that he's a bit self obsessed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, um, and that he doesn't, he has trouble letting people in. Yeah. Which may well be. I mean, it, whenever I see the man interviewed, he just seems to be the most nice down to earth person on earth. Mm-hmm. But hey, uh, you know, that's, that could be part of the performance, but yeah. he hasn't managed to play that in a film in a long time. <laughs> so I'm inclined to believe it's him. <laughs> um, so yes, we have this, this very earnest uh, performance from him as this flawed actor who is looking for his next big break. And then the biggest strength of the film is his relationship with Pedro Pascal. They have this wonderful chemistry and friendship with each other. Um, Pascal plays this kind of needy and sl- an unfulfilled rich guy, who it turns out is actually a part of his family's drug cartel business, okay. uh, which causes tension between them. And therein lies slightly the problem, because in the film, there's a bit where they meet and they're writing a film together, which is very obviously the film we're seeing. Mm. And they talk about how they want to do a character study. They want to do... You know, just two guys hanging out discussing things. But in order to get audiences in, they'll have to then turn it into an action movie. And sure enough, as we're watching this movie, it gradually becomes an action movie, which is kind of fun. It's kind of fun because it's building on the characterization they've already built and, you know, using all of the resources that they have uh, utilized so far to make you actually feel for these characters. But it's significantly less interesting for me once it transitions into being a kind of thriller. Okay. In which, you know, Cage's daughter gets kidnapped and so does Pascal's, you know, lover. And it's just, I don't know. It, it it feels less interesting to me once you get past the stuff that was in the trailer, which is just Cage reflecting on his legacy, talking with a super fan and, you know, trying to make sense of their unusual place in the world together. <laughs> you know, because the it does achieve some insight into the Cage phenomenon and what yeah. it means to people. And that's fun. But in the end, it once it becomes an action movie it feels a little superficial mm-hmm. and i'm reminded of jcvd mm-hmm. uh the movie in which jean-claude van damme essentially proved that he could act when he's playing himself <laughs> which is you know no no mean feat but that movie had the premise of a hostage situation but was kept it very real and in the end there's a bit where jean-claude van damme suddenly snaps out of it and he 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 kicks the gun out of the bad guy's hand and he saves the day but then we rewind a little bit to reveal that that didn't happen uh-huh. And I guess there were plenty of points during this movie where I was just waiting to see if we were going to rewind to see that this didn't actually happen. <laughs> but it, oh. it didn't do that. And so the second track, I think, loses track of what makes it special. And it does become a bit generic. But I enjoyed it. It was it was still a very entertaining film, quite a funny film. Um, and it was very nice to see Nicolas Cage in a role that he was clearly engaging with because you don't always get that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think it's a three star for me. Okay. Sounds fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's for the Cage fans. I don't know if someone who like doesn't care very much about Nicolas Cage, I'm not sure mm. what they'll get out of it. Yeah, good point. The little nods to Face Off and Con Air. Mm. He has had a hell of a career. It's a good opportunity oh, yeah. to reflect on how long his career is because you know he's been going since the '80s, and you know little references to leaving Las Vegas, and I think he's uh, credited in there as something like uh, I think it, his actual name because his real name is Coppola because he's related mm. to he's related to Francis Ford Coppola. I think that gets referenced at some point in there. Ah, nevertheless. It was fun. It was a fun. It was a fun. It was a fun. It was a fun. Do you know what else was a fun? No. World War Two. Yeah, great time. <laughs> some people had a great time. And in particular, people... those working in the intelligence agency. Oh, yeah. Operation Mincemeat. 
Ah, okay. Yes. Yeah. So this is based on the real Operation Mincemeat, renamed from Operation Trojan Horse, because that was a really obvious name to call something when you're, uh, <laughs> when you're trying to do. <laughs> Operation, we're going to get you. <laughs> Operation full for this, suckers. <laughs> Where's Mincemeat? Ah, uh, something to do with rations. Yeah. Eh? Probably. Eh? Operation oh. Very Boring wouldn't worry about this. <laughs> Mincemeat is actually a pun of some sorts, and I can't remember... I can't, they explain it in the film, but I can't remember the exact details of well, it, but then, it's quite cute. Listeners will have to go watch it, won't they? They're going to have to go see this movie in order to find out exactly how clever British <laughs> intelligence were when they were coming up with funny titles for their op- very important operations. Oh, we should say right now, they failed. The whole mission failed, but the name, the name of the mission was great <laughs> and very clever. So That is one stumbling block, because you do kind of, maybe, and I don't want to spoil this for anyone, but you do get the impression the operation maybe works. <laughs> What with us speaking English and all. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that. Nevertheless, this is an attempt to convince the Nazis that actually the Allies were planning to invade Europe through Greece instead of the more obvious target, Sicily. Okay. A very natural uh, military decision. They had to convince the world that actually the Allies were going to invade Greece. The way they were going to do this, aside from a couple of bits of subterfuge, which didn't really work, you know, trying to move troops closer to Greece and, you know, making it look like that's Mm. where their focus is... They decide that they're going to perform an outrageous little piece of misinformation. They're going to get a body. Okay. They're going to load it up with special documents, disguise it as a British officer, and then throw it in the ocean off of Spain, which was neutral and would therefore be open to being anticipate to being intercepted by Nazi spies in Spain. Okay. And then hopefully the Nazis will then take that to heart and you know move all of their troops to Greece instead of Italy. So. It's a very interesting plot. And in order to do this, they have to make the dead um, officer seem as convincing as possible. He cannot seem like they have set this up. Okay. Um, So it becomes this very interesting kind of spy drama uh, with Colin Firth, you know, at the head of this operation. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you've got Colin Firth as uh, Ewan Montague, who's the head of the operation. Matthew McFadden as Charles Chalmondley, who (laughs) is... um, you know, also, who's, uh, who is, is the person who came up with the idea and is very sort of determined to make it work whilst also being... Colin Firth is uh, kind of a... He's a Colin Firth type. He's Colin Firth. You know, he's very... He's Colin Firth. He's very laid back, but also, mm. you know, very passionate, but also his personal life's a mess and he just gets so terribly <laughs> worried. That's Colin Firth's character. <laughs> That's just a oh, general thing. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I don't quite know what to do now. Uh, and we also Brother. have... Yeah, so... McFadden, therefore, is this much more astute kind of nerdy kind of character who's going to, you know, iron out all the details. And Kelly McDonald is here as a female intelligence officer who gets involved with the whole thing and is based on the real female intelligence officer who contributed a slightly saucy picture um, for the dead officer to have on him to help, Mm -hmm. you know, flesh out his character. And Firth's character then meets with her under the guise of trying to flesh out the backstory and sort of build a romance okay. uh, between her and this fict- uh, fictional officer. Um, and in so doing, they end up kind of falling in love, Aww. except that Charles Chalmondry is also interested. So McFadden gets involved as well. And there's a kind of a love triangle going on, which is interesting in as much as it really builds up a palpable sense of animosity between the two men. <laughs> it's curious. It's curious to have this in here. So it is curious to just have this kind of love triangle built in because he has a family abroad at the time and there's a lot of tension there and also his brother, Mark Gattis, might be a communist. 
So there's all sorts of things going on around this. But the film is at its most compelling when the body is actually dispatched and we're just following it. We're following the body, we're following the documents that are with the body, and we're seeing it in Spain in the 40s, swapping hands, being moved about the place, and getting ever so close to coming into Nazi hands, and Mm. then just slipping away, and various people trying to get it to go to the right place. And it's then it becomes really, really interesting, really compelling. Okay. Um, And that's when it is at its best. Uh, I think because this is from John Madden, who is the guy who directed Shakespeare in Love and okay. also the two Best Exotic Marigold Hotels. Okay. It is kind mm-hmm. of fighting against its natural instinct to become cozy. Yeah. And it's trying to tell a very dark and very sort of strong story here, but it mm. is also very much a film that has the sensibilities of an old war movie, mm. you know, of a home front thing. And consequently, there is the instinct of it becoming a little bit twee. Nevertheless, I think for the most part, it managed to stay on the side of gripping um, it was a very interesting insight into sort of spycraft, and yeah, it was old-fashioned but fairly compelling. Okay, interesting. Yeah, what are we giving it? Three? Uh, yeah, I think three. Yeah. I think three is three fair. out of five. And it it did the thing that you want a true life story to make you do, which is that I got very interested in finding out about the real, real the thing. actual events. Yeah, the real yeah. things that went on, and I think that's always a good a good thing because yeah, that's true. Film has no obligation to fact, merely to truth. No, absolutely. Oh, absolutely deep, deep. I know, right? Yeah, I can't believe I just. I can't believe I just. Fought. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, speaking of oh my god, speaking of oh my god, we have <laughs> Bernadetta. Oh okay. <laughs> Bernadetta is um, well. It's probably most revealing to say that this is based on the novel *Immodest Acts: The Life of a Lesbian Nun in Renaissance Italy* mm-hmm. by Judith C. Brown. It's the new movie by Paul Verhoeven. Okay. Um, and yeah, it is about a lesbian nun living in Italy. Um, a small a, a sort of small town in it, in Italy that has this uh this convent in it um where one of the characters suddenly finds that she is having these extraordinary sort of blissful images of god and very specifically jesus including <laughs> jesus in a very well at one scene he shows up with a big sword and slices these serpents in uh, apart Ooh. it's very verhoven okay and then she herself finds herself attracted to one of the other women in the convent and it's Oh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> okay. It's very good. It's very camp. It's very over the top. It's very Verhoeven. But it is also making this point of, you know, she she is part of a society that hates all of this, that is trying to oppress her. And yet she is so clearly in love with God and the sort of message of God mm. and this of hope and belief um, that, you know, it's just absurd that nobody is listening to her. But then she herself starts to become so enamored with her own sense of power that she is getting from these visions and things are happening she's developing stigmata which she might be faking and Mm. there's this intrigue and mystery as to the mystical qualities that she has and there's always just enough room for doubt there um but still you're just you find yourself on board of her it's um virginie ephira ephira i should say um playing the the Benedetta herself and Charlotte Rampling is the head of the order and she's great. Love Charlotte Rampling. Yeah, it's good stuff. And she's just, again, she just has that sort of camp quality to it as the sort of stern leader of the convent who's Mm. willing to dish out uh, punishments as needed. I don't know. I I couldn't help but think of this as like a spiritual showgirls. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's just, it's Verhoeven's approach to things, which is that he, he is an intelligent filmmaker and there Mm. are some really interesting ideas going on here. And it has this, but it has this huge scale, this big sense of uh, fun 
to it that really keeps mm. it engaging um as well as being you know somewhat horrific in places and rightly so you know some bad things are happening and it's quite fraught sometimes in its portrayal of life in this medieval village and Bernadette's attempts to try and improve it and her own relationship with God and how she thinks that she can best serve her community whilst also protecting herself and yeah sometimes serving herself it's not an e- a movie with easy answers but yeah it's just I just I really love the I really love the world of it I love the journey the initial journey to the nunnery I love the um all of the scenes set within it uh the scenes set within the town outside the sort of unlikely twists and turns that the story takes. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's something where I'm trying to sell it as like being a very entertaining film, but it is also in that typical Verhoeven style, something that does have more going on beneath. Okay. It's incredibly, uh, accessible surface. Sure. Unless you are Catholic, in which case you may be protesting this film <laughs> because there have been some protests about it being <laughs> blasphemy because it does portray Full on lesbian sex inside of a church. Blast for everybody. Including a sex toy fashioned out of a crucifix. Okay, I can see why. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) On the other hand, pretty funny. It's very funny, and it's. That's the thing, it's, 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 it's funny, but it's so earnest that it doesn't ever feel like it's laughing at what it's portraying okay that's great it's just it's it's ridiculous but in a very straight-faced way Mm, and i think that's very appealing yeah always enjoy that (laughs) oh interesting how many stars the thing is it's from 2021 and i did put it on my top 30 so it kind of feels like i should give it five stars probably maybe maybe no you know what it is five i remember watching this at the london film festival and i just remember smiling from beginning to end and just feeling completely pulled along by it and yeah i really look forward to seeing it again all right great yeah Yeah. it sounds fun (laughs) sounds fun it's very Uh, again it's very unique (laughs) yeah (laughs) i still haven't seen showgirls so um maybe i should start there and then showgirls is a lot of fun yeah benedetta i am much more confident okay that this film is is succeeding as intended sure the verhoeven had a vision and here it is and it's enjoyable to watch for all the reasons that Verhoeven wanted you to enjoy it. The same with Elle. He's, a, he's become quite an interesting filmmaker mm. because he still has these, he still has the same instincts to create entertaining films that have this undercurrent that he had back when in the nineties, when he was working on movies like Showgirls, like Robocop, like, um, that was eighties, but like uh, Total Recall, okay. you know, or Starship Troopers, yeah. films that are on the surface accessible entertainment, but beneath it are trying to interrogate things. Showgirls is a great movie to watch. I don't know if it's on purpose. Okay, yeah. There's yeah. a debate to be had there. Yeah. But Benedetta is good on purpose. Okay. <laughs> I'll check it out. Yeah, check When it you show out. it to me sometime in like five years from now. Yeah, absolutely. Base a, sc- a weekend around it. Yeah. It's the only way to get me on board with anything. <laughs> <laughs> Happening. 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 Not the happening. Very okay. Crucially. I was going to say, uh, have we not already yeah. had this film a few years ago? <laughs> We've re-released a new version of the happening. No, this is happening. Or l'événement. 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 Actually, I think you don't l'événement. even pronounce one of those E's properly. L'événement. L'événement. That's my, my, my best French accent. L'événement. This <laughs> is a... This is the story of a young woman who is um, living in a similar situation, actually. She's not in a convent, but she is in a a university setting in the sort of late 50s in france oh yes i know what you're talking i know i know ah. what film you're talking about hey good stuff yes it was, this wasn't another one that i missed at the film festival no 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 i just saw it um i was looking at what was on at the barbican the other day and oh, this was, okay this is on at the barbican. 
Yes. Live anymore. Um, yeah, so she then becomes pregnant, which mm-hmm. threatens her studies, and she is then forced to explore potential avenues of securing an abortion, which in the late 50s in France is yep. illegal, and anyone who helps her will be also sent to jail. Mm-hmm. So it's a very dangerous situation that she is in. She is absolutely determined not to end her studies because she has this complicated relationship with her home life and the sort of fate of her mother, who ended up sort of working in a little cafe after becoming mm. pregnant very young. And she's desperate not to repeat that mistake as well as avoid the stigma, the sort of, you know, life ending okay. stigma that can be attached to having sex at this age, you know, outside of wed- wedlock mm. and getting pregnant. It's a movie that's set in the 50s and yet the shooting style of it, the fashion that everybody's wearing and the way in which it captures the action feels very modern. And that okay. feels very deliberate, a deliberate attempt to say, hey, this doesn't, none of this feels that that old mm-hmm. now you know or irrelevant these are still, well exactly these are still issues which are definitely affecting people today i think actually abortion rights are massively under threat in the states if i remember correctly oh, yeah. there's a couple oh, yeah. of states a few have of, um, recently a few states have changed their abortion law to make it yeah. more restrictive yeah yeah Absolutely. it's not going so well in the is... states they're kind of <laughs> turning yeah. a lot of legislation uh out that's not great at the moment well, I mean, just just here, as recently as 2019, was it? We were in that uh, alliance with the DUP, who were very oh, yeah. anti-abortion in true. Northern Ireland. So I don't, I don't mm-hmm. even know what the rules in Ireland are at the moment. But I it's... think still tricky in Northern Ireland. I feel like yeah. um, Republic of Ireland has... They right. do something recently, or am I thinking about... No, I'm thinking about the gay marriage change in Republic right. of Ireland. They're a little, a touch more progressive. <laughs> I, that wouldn't surprise me. I think. Um, yeah. It's it's still an, a terrifying issue uh, everywhere because you have within this film a lack of control and a real feeling of claustrophobia as her decisions are sort of cut off and we really get the impression that the, pa- the power in this situation is in the hands of the men mm. around her, including men who just do not know her. You know, she goes to a doctor in order to try and find something that will help her with this situation and is given something that will do the opposite. It's kind of like vitamins for a healthy embryo, you know, and is told right, to take them yeah. as a method of getting rid of the, the embryo. It's it's very dispiriting, you know, and it, it manages to find all of these ways. And it's it, it f- demonstrates how this woman is kind of forced out of desperation into this these dire solutions, um, having to reach out. And finding other women who have experienced similar things who have knowledge around it and women who are indeed willing to help you know such as the role you know we've had you know these roles have existed throughout history of the sort of wise woman who in spite of being left out of medical establishments by discrimination has to sort of become a figure who will be able to do the things that men are going to refuse to do yeah um and it, she's an interesting figure because she's completely disempowered by her society and yet she wields this great authority uh, within it. So, yeah, everything around that character is very interesting. Interesting. It's... Uh, a, oh, oh, sorry, that was just out of order. Um, that yeah. was out of order. You're that was right. out of order. I'm I sorry, Paul. I need to just Paul. sort it. <laughs> I apologise. The, the way you said, yeah. Yeah. I'm not having it. I'm not having it again. Yeah. I'm, it. I'm sorry I said yeah when it wasn't my turn. <laughs> My notes, are, my notes are out of order. Um, oh, Audrey okay. Dewan directed the film. Okay. Uh, Dewan. Dewan? How do you spell yeah. that? Uh, D-I-W-A-N. So just Dewan? Don't know. Dewan? I just Dewan? said Dewan. Dewan? 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 I can't remember what song that's from. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we're singing. I just joined in because nah, I want I, you to I, like I, me. I always appreciate that. 
<laughs> I always respect that you're going to willing to just throw yourself in there. I wish next time you randomly sing a bit of Oliver, I'm going to do the same thing. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, so we have. Oh, wait, wait. Trying to think of a different Uh-oh. song. Blanking. <laughs> Will you buy any milk milk today, Mister? Any milk? Any milk at all that you might have on you? Not on you, on me. Buy it. Knives to grind. Any knives to grind? Uh, We did Oliver at my primary school, (laughs) which is quite a big production to put on for like a hundred-person primary school. Um, but we had one kid, shout out to Henry, who was an excellent singer. And so they were like, well, let's just do Oliver. We can just make him be the star. <laughs> and the rest of us worked around it. In my head, we did an incredible job, but I was 10 at the time. So I don't really okay. remember if it was actually good. <laughs> you just I'm sure it was absolutely amazing. I'm sure um, it was I, like the, re- yeah. the revelation sequences from Bernadetta. Yeah. Just everyone I think staring so. skywards. I um, the sheer beauty of the music. I did play The Milkmaid, though. So that was my line. What was your line? (laughs) Will you buy any milk today, mistress? And there was two of us, so it wasn't even my line. There was two of us singing that. Uh. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was quite a production. It does. It sounds amazing. (laughs) I think it was full school level. (laughs) Who saw it? I don't know. I guess our parents. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. I forget that some schools put on stuff for parents. Yeah. (laughs) In high school, we just did things for each other. Very much like a prison. <laughs> Anywho, Audrey Dewan directs, and it's 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 a fantastic performance from Anna Maria uh, Vartolome, who is just, mm. she's really great. She has this really great screen presence. One of, uh, simultaneously looking very desperate, but also like she's in complete control. Okay. Um, of a scene, she has this real fierceness that she can she can do. Um, which is then all the more horrible to see that sort of stripped from her as her status shifts and she's forced into accepting a lower and lower sort of status amongst her friends and in her class. You know, we just see her sort of slide down the scale and it's really upsetting because she is such a self-assured person at the beginning. Mm. There's a very memorable moment in it in which uh, one of her friends demonstrates the successful way in which one might hump a pillow (laughs) Um, a very erotic sequence that is uh, very tenderly and sort of yeah uh, frankly shot Mm. um, by Duan and then that is really interesting to compose against all of the really somewhat terrifying and squirm inducing moments in which she attempts to take matters into her own hands uh, with this thing and then also later the sort of surgery sequences which have a similar level of intimacy and as a result yeah it it can be an uncomfortable watch uh, to say the least um, and it's an interesting contrast between the two moments. Perhaps this only suffers from comparisons to Eliza Hitman's Never Rarely, Sometimes Always from two years ago, mm-hmm. which was this beautiful film about sort of female friendship and had something something of the divine about it in terms of its cinematography and the way in which it followed the two girls on their odyssey to try and secure basic rights to control their own bodies. Otherwise, this film is absolutely marvellous. It's... Um, it's a really interesting character insight and just a very... It has this thing as well, sorry, where it keeps flashing up how many weeks it's been. Okay. And it does so with the same sort of way in which Kubrick would put up, you know, subtitles in The Shining <laughs> in order to disorientate you. It, it would wait until really dramatic moments, you know, in the story where something bad was happening and then suddenly it would just come up eight weeks, you know, just like a ticking <laughs> yeah. clock yeah. towards um, the point where it'll be too late to do anything about this. Oof. And... Ugh. That's the real yeah. horror of a uh, um, yeah. <laughs> pregnancy, isn't it? Is that it's like every day counts. 
Yeah, exactly. It's just happening and it's just, you know, draining her. And yeah, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, it's more about sort of control of the body than it is Mm. about the idea of just the horror of reproduction. (laughs) But that that's what I got from it, because I do believe that. Of course, of course. I should say today was the day that my first nephew was born. So (gasps) the horrors of reproduction are slightly, slightly. um, They're both made very real to me today. (laughs) And being like, huh. Wow, we had to go through that. Uh, and also beautiful. So. Oh, beautiful. That's oh, beautiful. the thing about childbirth, birth, right? It's, it's the most beautiful, horrible thing. <laughs> the most beautiful, horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The biggest mistake you'll ever be happy you made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's just the point where the baby's coming out is uh, the moment where you're like, oh, shit. But that's yeah. far too late at that point. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely no turning back. <laughs> Look. I'm I'm into some pretty radical uh, sort of women's rights of reproduction advocates. None of them have really argued that uh, no. that stage is okay. No. <laughs> but more just, I think, just the fact that's of a very like, late term, isn't it? We've got to get this out somehow. And once it's out, you've got to look after it for a oh, really that, long time. I mean, time. that's another issue. I think at know, least twelve years. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Secondary school. At that point, right? They just sort it <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. So- Oh, absolutely. I don't think yeah. I spoke to my parents during Is secondary what, school. What are GCSEs for again? General <laughs> school care of L'Enfant. Yeah. That's the test you do to find out if they get to come home. Yeah. So, <laughs> moving on. Did I get that a star rating? I think four stars. Four stars. Okay, great. It was very, it's it was, going yeah, up on really good. many tangents today. Yeah, that sounds like a good film. I'd like to watch yeah. it. Oh, it was, yeah. It was really, it was quite powerful and it was really, really effective. I'll tell you what else is effective. Surprisingly so. I didn't think I'd have so much to say about this. Uh-huh. Um, I thought, okay, I'll go see another movie just to flesh out, you know, the number of films I have to talk about. So I went and saw Ennio, Il Maestro, a okay. uh, documentary about Ennio Morricone, the uh, okay. film score guy, and did not expect to have this much to uh, talk about, but nevertheless, I must certainly do. This is a documentary directed by Giuseppe uh, Tornat- Tornatore, uh, the director of Cinema Paradiso. Uh, okay. One of which is one of the films that Morricone composed a very famous score for, and it was just this wonderful and comprehensive, perhaps to a fault, at uh, two and a half hours <laughs> okay. um, journey through Morricone's life from his beginnings in, I mean, right from his beginnings, his sort of school life, and then through his time in popular Italian music in the nineteen fifties and sixties, which is wonderfully stylish to sort of go back and <laughs> revisit the sort of fifties pop songs that Ennio Morricone worked on. Yeah. Um, from italy was just wonderful but um all the way through his uh film work and uh some of his slightly more obscure stuff as well uh right up to the period essentially just before his death in 2020 when he was just touring and playing to these massive arenas you know of people who are celebrating his work and it's easy to forget the sheer scope of morricone's work you've you know you come in expecting to see stuff about the sergio leone movies like the good the bad and the ugly and mm-hmm you know, all of his westerns, uh, maybe The Mission and Cinema Paradiso, the ones he won Oscars for. But hang on, why are we speaking to Dario Argento? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's right. He did some of his animal movies before Argento fell in with Goblin. That's what, what's, what's Bernardo Bertolucci doing here? Oh, that, God, 1900. He did that as well. And, you know, and Bertolucci is very one of the best interviewees because he really is able to <laughs> put his admiration and love for Morricone's music into his own his own words and his own sort of poetic... That's you know, nice. phrasings, which is very nice. 
Um, you know, and Pier, Pier Paolo Pasolini is here, and it's just, well, he's not here, he's dead. He's very, very dead, it's Pier Paolo Pasolini. <laughs> okay. Notably so. But his archive footage is here, and it's like, oh, wow, Pasolini liked Morricone. Oh, they worked together on, like, Arabian Nights. And you, you, wow. All these people he worked with, and, you know, obviously some Western people, Tarantino's here, and mm. various others, and it's, but it's, it's his connection to Italian cinema that really bowled me over, and just, because I loved that. Um, but in addition to being a wonderful tribute, it's also a beautiful film in its own right. It tenderly observes the man in his own spaces. It starts off with him in his own office, his own home, and includes this gorgeous opening sequence that has him doing his morning exercises, juxtaposed to snippets of the interviews that are coming up, all set mm-hmm. to a metronome. And it's this wonderful sort of building sense that something special is coming. And he shows clips from the movies when it's relevant to do so, like actual clips with the music in place. But for the most of the part, for the most part, he arranges these gorgeous little montages of footage from the films to accompany the scores, uh, which are really beautiful and offers a rare chance. If you go see this movie in cinemas, it's a rare chance to see some of these obscure movies projected. Because I don't know anywhere else is going to be showing E. E Cannibali or (laughs) Fraulein Doctor or um, even John Huston's The Bible, I can't imagine, gets a lot of time being put through a projector these days. So, you know, it's a wonderful chance to see some of those on the big screen. Um, One cute element is, I assume of uh, Tornatore's um, devising, is that at various stage, all of the interviewees and even Morricone himself sing out various aspects of the song they're describing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the Battle of Algiers comes on with the very distinctive dum dum dum, dum dum dum, dum 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 dum, like when that's happening, you have Morricone going dot 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 because I'm very delighted to find out that dot <laughs> is Italian for dumb. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> dot dot dot, and dot, it's dot, it's... Dot. <laughs> it's very good. All of the Italian interviewees use dot instead of oh. um. Well, that's my dumb. new favorite fact. That is that is really great, and I love that. Mm. I want to ask if I if I do um, da 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 I'm doing it with a no. Wow. But we don't have a word for do- doodling. Do do it. Dum do do dum dumming. Dum 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 da do doodling. Dum dum do 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 da 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 And that's scat. And that's yep. the power of Marconi. <laughs> the highlight of all of that, incidentally, is Marconi doing the coyote howl from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. Sort of, ah! <laughs> The one who's worst at it is undoubtedly Dario Argento, who seems physically <laughs> pained to try, <laughs> which is lovely. But yeah, it's not just a divine celebration. We do also have a lot of reflection. And Morricone is actually very critical of his own work, and in particular his melodies. You know, he'll talk about mm. how someone came up to him and said, oh, I was very fond of your music in um, A Few Dollars More, this iconic piece of music he did. And he says, oh, I thought that was very weak, and I've done a lot better work. And it's just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's very, very self-critical. And he talks openly about the shame he felt early in his career to be in- associated with making music for movies and how all the people from his sort of conservatory um, okay. were, were, were not on board with this. And that gradually changed throughout his life. And he, and he about- started making big money. <laughs> I mean, that does help, doesn't it? <laughs> there is a sequence where he's just like throwing money into the air and it showers yeah, down on him. Yeah, yeah. It's um, very but, uncouth, no, but I appreciate it. <laughs> 
<laughs> a serious point. That is interesting. <laughs> it is interesting, the stigma there. And he talks yeah. about butting heads with directors and the bane of his life, which is temp music from other movies that directors insist on using. Uh, like the filler just like, stuff whilst they're working the filler out what stuff they want. Like, exactly, because Marconi's okay. best stuff came when he worked with the actual directors. And there's actual footage of like Once Upon a Time in America, which he made with Sergio Leone. And like they'll, pl- they'll ha- they have big speakers and they play out Morricone's score mm. so that the actors on state on set can actually react oh, to okay. it and sort of have it influence the mood. And I know that they did the same thing for the good, the bad, and the ugly when they were staging the big you know shootout at the end. And it's interesting, therefore, that Tarantino shows up as an interviewee because Tarantino has only ever used temp music. I don't think until the Hateful Eight he never had an original score written for one of his movies. Everything okay. is taken from other movies. Um, and then I think subsequently to that, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he went back to using unoriginal okay. music. Um, and he extensively uses Morricone music in Inglorious Bastards, much of which is actually played back with its original context, um, which I wonder is like a cheeky little comment by the director. <laughs> because do we really need to talk about Rabia e Tarantella from Alonzo Fan? Do we need to premiere that? Or are we just trying to remind everyone, hey, he used this for the end of Inglorious Bastards? Yeah. Nevertheless, Marconi talks about how pointless and dispiriting it is when directors use music from other movies because it just doesn't fit. You know, it wasn't written for this, it doesn't mm. fit. Then cut to Tarantino talking about what a genius he is. <laughs> and when we eventually get to The Hateful Eight, Tarantino apparently just wanted another Leone score. He said, just do what you did for Sergio. And Marconi yeah. had to convince him to let him do something more symphonic. And, you know, like a he described it as his revenge against the Western genre. Okay. is the soundtrack to The Hateful Eight. And you really get that impression. And it's interesting because I think it's about control. You know, mm. it gets said at one point that if you're the filmmaker, you can have the costume described to you, shown to you, and then put together before it's made and you get input. With a score, maybe all of this dot, dot, dot stuff is to demonstrate that you can't really describe a score before you've done it. Yeah. So you have to surrender a certain amount of control over to the soundtrack artist. Um, and some directors have that trust and lack of ego to let them do that, and some don't. And we have Oliver Stone, who had Morricone once, and I can't even remember the name of the movie, Um, but he failed to overcome that hurdle, and, um, you know, he just said to him, just do, like, weird cartoon noises like you did in the Sergio Leone movies. And, um, yeah, it didn't work. (laughs) It it was a very bad soundtrack, and Morricone got very unhappy with him. Compare that to Elio Petri, wanted a score for the investigation of a citizen above suspicion. His excellent film. And was convinced to use a temp track from something else at the beginning. No, a piece of Morricone's music from an earlier film over the opening sequence in which this guy kills his mistress. Mm. And Morricone had to wear him down and say, no, let me compose something new. And eventually that happens and is much the stronger for it. Yeah. And sometimes in this movie, you just have to stop and just appreciate the music that's playing. Deborah's theme from Once Upon a Time in America, Gabriel's oboe from The Mission the main theme from Once Upon a Time in the West, these melodies just kind of swarm over you and completely overwhelm your senses. And there's a song called Here's to You, by jo- sung by Joan Baez, that apparently Ennio Morricone wrote, which I had not heard before, but was very, very good. That was my <laughs> surprise. Nice. I appreciate that. So, yeah, it's just a really beautifully made celebration of the maestro's life and work, and of film music in general, I think. And a couple Ooh. of times they check in with Hans Zimmer, and whilst looking at him, I just thought, You'll get your time. <laughs> You'll get your time. Yeah. It'll be Zimmer and then die, whatever the German for the maestro is. Yeah. Die, das Maestro. Die Meister. Die Meister. Yeah, probably is. Duh. Das. Duh. Das. 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 Das Meister. Several, several, several maestros. 
That's Hans Zimmer. Uh, yeah, sorry, I, I got distracted thinking about German grammar. Um. <laughs> it happens all the time, and uh, yeah. you just have to accept that. But yeah. also you have to accept is that Ennio is a fantastic movie, five stars. Cool. Oh, wow. Ooh, Great. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. It was like one of the most compelling documentaries I've seen in ages. Wow. Great. Oof. Very nice. Yeah. Now, I am out of movies, but... Mm-hmm. What? The Cannes Film Festival is starting soon. Oh, is it? It oh, is. Oh. I'm not going this year. I went a few years ago and... You don't uh, want French was... shingles? <laughs> Try it out. I did actually get really sick when I went to Cannes. Of course you did. <laughs> I didn't get shingles that time, but I did get very, very ill and had to spend at least one day just in my little um, flat that I'd rented in Antibes. Um just staring out the window eating cheese yeah that'll um, fix you which i'd love to do under better circumstances <laughs> <laughs> cheese was the only thing i was confident enough to order oh. went to the green grocer so it's just like no no i, I think I, I was i was off sick that day ironically <laughs> uh, nevertheless from the safety of our nice lovely london cut to a bin on fire um, <laughs> we can have a look at the movies that are going to play and therefore anticipate some of the biggest films of the Ooh. year to come so, let's have a look here. We have got Crimes of the Future, a David Cronenberg film starring Leia Seydoux, Kristen Stewart, and Viggo Mortensen. And here's the plot. A deep dive into the not-so-distant future in which human- humankind is learning to adapt to its synthetic surroundings. This evolution moves humans beyond their natural state and into a metamorphosis which alters their biological makeup. I can't wait for that. Yeah, it sounds, sounds great. Like, that sounds really sounds- fun. It sounds really good because it sounds like Cronenberg returning to his weird kind of body-twisting origins, which he kind of moved away from. Uh, But then his son, Brandon Cronenberg, made Possessor a couple of years ago, which was really mind-bendy and sort of body Mm. body horrors. So maybe it's like, oh yeah. Nah. I will show you how it is done. You think you're hot stuff, eh, son? He's Canadian. (laughs) You think you're hot stuff, eh, son? How about that? That's my impression. (laughs) Have this. No, no, not even close. Nope. Nope. Not even close. Not even close. Let's let's stick with Poutine. French because <laughs> exactly. And uh, let's stick with French because we've got Tori and Lakota from Jean Pierre et Luc Dardin. Dardin. Sorry, air is there because I copied it straight from the Cannes Film Festival email thing. So <laughs> just... it's Jean Pierre and Luc Dardin, the Dardin brothers. Oh, I see. Um, fantastic <laughs> Belgian. <laughs> eh. uh, fantastic <laughs> Belgian filmmakers. And uh, yeah, the pre- the pro- uh, premise prom- premise. Premise is, in Belgium today, a young boy and an adolescent girl who have travelled alone from Africa pit their invincible friendship against the cruel conditions of their exile. Um, mm. Looking forward to this because the Dardenne brothers are amazing. They keep yeah. making these wonderful humanist films that have just a little twist of the cinematic to them. Okay. It'll always be really believable, relatable characters, but then there's just something a little bit cinematic about it. Like, a couple of guys working on a building site, but then one of the immigrant workers falls and dies, and they decide, rather than get the paperwork involved because he was an illegal immigrant they were exploiting, they're just going to try and cover it up. Mm-hmm. And so all of these really sort of beautiful, beautifully insightfully insightful scenes of their day-to-day life is now interrupted by this kind of thriller plot, and almost all of their movies do that. The last film of theirs I saw, actually, was uh, Du Jour Un Nuit, in which Marion Cotillard has to convince a panel of people in her work to allow her to keep her job and she has two nights and two days and one night to do it okay to rush around and see everybody one at a time and again it just has this slight premise of this ticking clock to really carry this um Mm. very human story so i love that and i can't wait for this 
Stars at Noon by Claire Denis. In 1984's Nicaragua, a mysterious English mm. businessman and a headstrong American journalist strike up a romance as they become uh, embroiled in a dangerous labyrinth of lies and conspiracies and are forced to try and escape the country. Mm. I, love Claire, I love Claire Denis, so yeah. that is going to be Fun. fantastic. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's good to see her back on Earth after her strange film with Robert Pattinson, High Life, I think it was called. Oh yeah, rings a bell. Weird astronaut movie, so it'll be good to see her mm. sort of making stuff. Yeah, a bit more grounded because she's very good at that. Now, mm. Koreeda, Hirokazu Koreeda has a new movie coming out called Broker. Boxes that are left out for people to anonymously drop their unwanted babies. Oh no! Uh oh! <laughs> uh oh! We're in trouble. Um, mm. But yeah, Koreeda is one of the best filmmakers working today. His films are always worth checking out. He cool. makes films with just such a tender humanity to them. This actually sounds more dramatic than his usual fare. But then again, he did make Nobody Knows, in which a fam- uh, the real-life story of a bunch of kids who were left in a flat on their own in modern-day Tokyo, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, and they were just left to their own devices, these kids, and it all kind of spiraled out of control. So he does make these very dramatic films sometimes. Interesting. Uh, the guy who directed Force Majeure and The uh, the Square, Ruben Ostland, has made a movie called Triangle of Sadness. Uh, he makes <laughs> He's doing all com- the shapes, is he? He's we'll doing all the shapes. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And he makes these wonderful dramas that are just full of like the human ex- eccentricity and crapness. Like... <laughs> The premise to Force Majeure is one of my favorite things to say, which is just that it's about a family who are skiing together and there's an avalanche and the dad runs away. Yeah. And then the avalanche doesn't kill anyone and they all just have to deal with the fact that the dad ran away, left the yeah. kids, which they made into great. a dreadful American movie called Downhill a few years ago. Uh, uh, but no, Force Majeure is where it's at. Um, yeah. And the premise to this one, a pair of models find themselves at a crossroads in their careers. I just have no doubt that it's going to be great. Probably hilarious and really insightful. Yeah. Now. Now, no, mm-hmm. no. Now, no, 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 no. No. Oh, dear. Decision to Leave by Park Chan-wook. Ooh. Director of my favorite movie of all time. A detective investigating a man's death in the mountains meets the dead man's mysterious wife in the course of his dogged sleuthing. Dogged sleuthing. These are all descriptions <laughs> from the Cannes Film Festival website, so <laughs> I enjoy that quite a bit. That was roughly translated. <laughs> That's going to be amazing. The poster already gets me excited. I love Park Chan-wook. I cannot wait yes. to see this film. Cool. Yeah, that sounds like it would be interesting. Whatever he does. I think so. Can't, it's not exactly going to be boring, is it? It's not. It's going to be absolute <laughs> madness, and I cannot wait. Right. Uh, Kelly Reichardt has directed a movie called Showing Up, which has Michelle Williams in it and is about a sculptor. That's all I need to know. It should be all you need to know, too, because Kelly Williams <laughs> is the best. Kelly Reichardt is the best. What else has she done? She's done Certain Women. She did First oh. Cow. She does. Okay. Uh, she did Wendy and Lucy. She does these wonderful stories about modern, usually modern American women, um, just living their lives. And cool. yeah, it's just these ex- exquisitely tender portraits of these characters, often with fairly tough exteriors, but real inner lives going on and living stories that are just very much less focused on in cinema. So it's always going to be something very unique. Interesting. I think this one will interest you. Boy from Heaven by Tarek Saleh. Oh dear, S-A-L-E-H. Saleh? Saleh. 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 Tarek Saleh, the director of the Nile Hilton incident. Oh, yes. Yeah, his new film. On the first day back after the summer holidays, the grand imam collapses and dies in front of his students in a prestigious university in Cairo. This marks the start of a ruthless battle for influence to take his place. 
Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, a very interesting opportunity mm. to have a little glimpse into a lesser seen world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> Jersey, um, Jersey Skilamowski has directed EO. EO. Uh, which EO. appears to be... E- well, EO. exactly. <laughs> exactly EO, because it seems to be a remake of uh, Robert Bresson's uh, O Hazard Balfazar, because it's about a donkey and just about his ah. day-to-day life and how he meets some good people and some bad, which is exactly the premise to On Hazard Balfazar. So I'll be very interested to see how that compares. That was the competition. Oh, okay. uh, section not all of it there are many more films yeah, there's so many yeah. films at this thing but <laughs> you have the competition and then you have un certain regard oh yeah so let's have a look at four of those plan 75 japanese movie by how ha- hayakawa chi chi i think that would be hayakawa okay. chi government program plan 75 encourages senior citizens to be euthanized to remedy an aged society an elderly woman whose means of survival are vanishing, a pragmatic Plan 75 salesman, and a Filipino laborer face choices of life and death. Interesting. But very interesting. I love something with like a weird premise like that. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, oh, Corsage. This looks great. Corsage, Mary Kreutzer. Um, it's 1877 and the Empress of Austria is trying to maintain her image as a fashion icon after turning 40. I think yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds really good and special. <laughs> Can't yeah. wait to see that. Um, oh God, here's a lot of things I'm going to pronounce badly. Um, it's Godland is the UK title. Um, this okay. is an Icelandic film. Oh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'll just I'll just have a go at it. Hilnir uh, Palmason sounds good to me. That'll do. I'm Director of the, Win- of the Winter Brothers, which is very good. Um, mm-hmm. It's about a Danish priest who loses his faith and morality as he journeys into 19th century Iceland. Interesting. Love that. I love a journey into Iceland. One day I will make my journey into Iceland. We all do eventually. <laughs> when we turn 75. Yeah. It's all converging. I don't know what's mm. happening. That was Godland. And then we finally we have Joyland by Saim oh. Sadiq. A patriarchal family as they yearn for the birth of a baby boy to continue the family line. While their youngest son secretly joins an erotic dance theatre and Ooh. falls for an ambitious trans starlet. Their impossible love story begins to illuminate the entire family's desire for sexual rebellion. That sounds fascinating. That sounds really yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I'd really like to read that. Read that? See that? I want to read it. every part of that film. I want to smell that film. <laughs> Get this film in me. Yeah. Um, and then out of competition, and I don't know how out of competition works, but there is still a marquee in Cannes for when the Attack of the Attack of the Clones was played there out of competition. <laughs> so if, I, I feel sure. like the French have left it there as part of a just... Oh, what we'll just put the other like stuff a, here. Like a memento mori. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, your film might be really great, but look, Attack of the Clones played here. Let's all be humble, yeah? Yeah, we're, we're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> and four of the movies playing out of competition are Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Directed by Joseph Kaczynski, director of Tron Legacy, uh, a man who is, makes very stylistically interesting films, but he's mm-hmm. yet to make a film of substance. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, um, okay. which the trailer of which looks like absolute madness, and it has Tom Hanks doing an accent, which is always interesting. Always, yep. Because he yep. never goes halfway on an accent. No. Either Tom Hanks talks like Tom Hanks, or it's Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can one or the other. Uh, but to be fair, like the whole point, he's playing ter- uh, Colonel... Colonel Tom Parker, fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's playing Colonel Tom Parker, the guy who basically imprisoned Elvis and okay. t- took him into his confidence and ruined his life. Um, and he, the guy himself was kind of absurd. He was from Eastern Europe, but claimed to be American, claimed to be a colonel, but wasn't. Okay. Uh, 
you know, the big thing of him is that, you know, he was Colonel Tom Parker, but he wasn't, he wasn't called Tom, he wasn't called Parker, he wasn't a colonel, so (laughs) there was nothing about him that was real, and he prevented Elvis from playing anywhere other than Vegas, principally because he didn't have a passport himself, so he's a big crazy figure, and it's going to be very interesting to see Tom Hanks play him. Okay. Masquerade by Nicholas Mm -hmm. Bedo. This is from the uh, the director of La Belle Epoque, which I saw a few Mm -hmm. years ago, it's very good, and it's about an attractive dancer whose career was shattered by a motorcycle accident. Ooh. Squ- uh, and he squanders his youth in idleness. His life changes when he meets Margot, who lives off scams and amorous manipulations. Amorous, mm. I imagine that's meant to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amorous. Amorous. <laughs> amorous dancer. Amorous dancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super sexy. Uh, and the last one is 3,000 Years of Longing, which is the new, new movie by George Miller, director of the Mad Max film films. Okay. And it's about a djinn. A djinn. A djinn. A djinn. It's about yeah. a, a man who encounters a djinn. And uh, the man is uh, uh, Idris Elba. The woman is Tilda Swinton. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. There you go. The man is Idris Elba was enough for me. <laughs> I mean, it should always be enough. Yeah. Um, and then the only other thing to mention is that we may, may, may be getting a David Lynch film. Um, he he says we're not, but there's okay. a lot of rumors going around. <laughs> he says that. we're not. But then he's he going to wake not. up one day and be like, yeah, I have to make the film. <laughs> Everybody thinks that it's a surprise, so we shall okay. we shall have to see. He's, I uh, bet he's just there being like, no, genuinely, I'm not. This is <laughs> not, not a David a Lynch's kooky thing. I'm not making one. Stop getting your hopes up. <laughs> David. <laughs> this guy. You see this guy? I promise you. Why can't I be sincere anymore? <laughs> I wrote this on myself. Boy who called wolf. Yeah. Boy who called eraser head. Called wolf. <laughs> yeah. Boy who cried eraser head. <laughs> That's our documentary about him. There we go. Now we have to make that. We came up with a good name. We, we have to make it. Absolutely. Um, before I... The only other thing to mention about Cam hmm. before we stop is um, the poster for this year's festival. Now, the year I was there, they used an image from Jean-Luc Godard's Pierre Lafeau, and I didn't understand why, and because there was nothing to do with Pierre Lafeau in the program. But it looks like that's kind of their deal, because here's this year's poster. Oh. That's the Truman Show. Yeah, it is. Why is that the Truman Show? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I can see is, past years it? there. Look, the the hmm. the the 62nd edition of the Festival de Cannes seems to have a picture from an Antonioni film on it. I'm pretty sure that's um, La Ventura. So yeah. I guess screw it. Yeah, you like pick a random picture they like. Yeah, look, there's 2014. Just... That's clearly um, uh, what's his name from uh, Mastriani. And Marcello Mastrani from uh, the Dolce Vita. Uh-huh. Yeah, whatever. Why not? There, that's the year I was there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Pierre Lafeu. With Jean-Paul Belmondo, the best-named man ever. Jean-Paul Belmondo. Jean-Paul Belmondo. All You're the halfway world. there. You've got the Beautiful ball. world. Yeah. Jean-Paul, beautiful world. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, sir. Here's my underwear. Ah, <laughs> oh, and I think, Jen, finally, that yeah. just about does it for all the film stuff i have to talk about okay great when does can start oh god i think it's i think it is in a few weeks it may have started actually okay and is this where a lot of the films get their first ever showing yeah it's kind of it's near the top of the film program you get Mm -hmm. sundance in january and um bfi flair obviously last month yeah um and a few other smaller festivals and then then can kicks off the proper season because it's like can berlin yeah uh what's the city with all the water in it venice <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to describe it yeah that's venice 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I if think you said Venice. to someone, what's the city with all the water in it, a lot of people would say Venice. Venice? Yeah. Venice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that all kicks off sort of... Uh, Manchester? You know, it's, by and large... It does rain a lot. <laughs> it does rain a lot. With the exception of some outliers, the film festival season kind of begins with Cannes and ends at London. Sure. Okay. So, yeah, some of these will come out at the London Film Festival. Some of them will have found general release. Sure. Yeah, because it's, are... it's still like... It's quite a period of months, isn't it, between the first and the last, so... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah interesting. It's, it's about it's interesting. six months in all. <laughs> it can hardly be said to be a season, really, if it's half the year. Well, I don't know. You think about sport and they, their season well, for like true. 10 months of the year sometimes. You're like, that's, that's not true. a season, that's a forever. <laughs> You're just always doing sport. <coughs> that's a oh, I broke Paul. My joke was great. I broke him. <laughs> Loved it. Loved it. Loved that. Loved it. So, did I convince you to see any of these? Uh, yes, uh, there were several there that I thought sounded quite interesting. Ooh. Like, um, I've forgotten them all already. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, name them again. Uh, <laughs> Benedetta. Benedetta. That sounded uh, fun. Why not? No- Northman. The Northman. Northman. Yeah, I think I would actually, especially yeah. at a cinema, I think. I say that making absolutely zero plans to go see it at a cinema. Let's go see it now. Let's make, let's make plans together. What are you doing right now? <laughs> right now, talking to you. Oh, that's, oh. that's going to take you a while. Yeah. Uh, Operation Mincemeat? Mm. <sighs> probably not. Uh, unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? Mm. I like Nicolas Cage, but probably not. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, happening? Yeah, I think I saw I, I mean, I, I saw it on a program and thought, hmm, that'd be interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyhow. Yeah, I, I would. I enjoy oh, yeah. the, the random documentaries about film you've dragged me to over the years. It's been great. So. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, Hooray, my um, mission is complete. And finally, is. all of the Cannes Film Festival. Would you do that? Um, Yes. I would yes. love it if at some stage you and I both got press accreditation to a festival somewhere. I'm not getting... Who's going to give... Well, I guess... <laughs> I'm not doing... This is not... This is barely press. This oh, is come not, on. <laughs> look, we just covered... Uh, hey, I hate to say it, but you just covered movie news. I did, that's true, but I'd like to think that you covered new movie news mm-hmm. and I was your friend you told it to. <laughs> hey, have I'm, you ever seen a news like, presenter present news on their own? No, is the answer to no. that. No, not ever. So, no. I'm like a magician's a assistant. <laughs> well, you know, when Paul Daniels got accreditation for the um, <laughs> the thing, yeah. I like to think, it's not, it's not quite like that, I like to think you're the magician and I'm the rabbit that you pull out of the hat. Yeah, you say a little... Um, film fact and then I collapse the hat and you've disappeared <laughs> magic that's what happens as soon as you end these uh, these phone, these calls <laughs> yeah Paul ceased to exist <laughs> I shove him back in a little box oh, lock it put a blanket over stuff. it <laughs> yeah I hate it I hate that and that's why I'm trying to drag out the end of this episode but no, <laughs> no more so yeah. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go lie down and yeah good. <laughs> you, you wrap up the episode okay alright whilst Paul goes and slowly dies in a corner from <laughs> A cold, mild cold he got at the weekend. <laughs> hey! <Ugh. laughs> um, you've been listening to Jen and the Film Critic, a Screen Mayhem podcast. My name has my name has been Jen Blundell, and it still is. <laughs> it's been known to be. <laughs> it has been known to be Jen Blundell at times. <laughs> and with me is my film critic, Paul Salt. Hello. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, our music was by Jacob Blundell, and you can find Ooh. all of our stuff. You can find out more about Screen Mayhem. Um, if you ah. just search Screen Mayhem, you Twitter, internet. You Twitter. Not the internet. Just you can mm. find it. Shout out to baby Timothy. Whoop, yeah. Whoop. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Congratulations, uh, well, son. <laughs> congratulations to me. 
<laughs> I worked really hard on that. <laughs> on that. Pointing at Timothy. Yeah. <laughs> I put in a lot of effort to that. Yeah. Uh, um, excellent. And do I usually say anything else? Uh, no. You can email us. I usually say Arrivederci in a really weird accent. You mean an Italian accent or not an Italian accent? <laughs> you're, you're a, you're a, it's like a, what a non-Italian person would approach Italian accent as. Arrivederci. Oh my God, Jared Leto's here. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.